0: Good morning. Welcome back. So lovely to see everybody and uh, I apologize for the technical uh, difficulties in getting in today. But let us learn in the meantime, we are about to begin um, our annual tradition right now, which is Seder in the Seder, um, putting Seder into one Seder. And what we try to do every year, we look at a number of ideas together over the course of the week before Pesach and try to put some perspective into the Seder itself. So I'd like to start off this week by. Thanking Karen and Michael risen who are here in the zoom room who are joining us for the share today who are sponsoring in honor of the yard site of Karen's beloved father Mr Julius Sand Yehuda Ben Meir. hashalam. I believe it is the second yard site now that we are approaching um, It should be a, a really a, I'm sorry again the, the fourth I can't even believe it the fourth yard site which we're, which is which is going to be um, which is today bye yo it should be an Aliyas in for him, and he meets Hashem. We should we should hear b'sayras tovus in the family and in Klal Yisrael, b'karov um, soon, God willing. Rabbi, our sponsor, our sponsor for continue for Shlema, for Zev Melech Ben Bedina, and all others that need a refor Shlema. As so for Shlema for Zev Melech Ben Bedina and all others Hashem who are in need of a refuah, Shlaima, thank you, thank you, David. So let's. Let us, let us get learning. Metz Hashem. Let's, I just want to, sh- what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a screen of, let me, uh, of, um, of um, our notes for this morning. And um, I did send it out as a, as a PDF to the share group, but nonetheless, um, let us, uh, let us, uh, let us do this together. Here we go. Okay. Um, here we go. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to share our notes and let us learn. So, here we have it, folks. Here we have it. Seder in your Seder 5780. Five, so, we're going to look at a few ideas today and we're going to look at a few different Haggadahs which uh, reflect this. So, Hagada number one is actually going to be tonight. today is redemption. Then and now, this is the Haggadah of Rav, Rav Benjamin Blech, who um, should live and be well. He um, was just in our shul earlier this year. He said a, a very beautiful insight. And he talks about, you know, in the Haggadah, we're very into numbers. And in fact, so much so, at the end of the Haggadah, we get to sing this very special song where we, who knows one, who knows two, who knows three, we go all the way up to the number 13. But the, it, it is a little bit sad because it ends prematurely. What about the number 15? Who knows the number 15? 15 is an important number when it comes to the Haggadah for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is is because 15 is a very important number in the Hagada. It is the 15 steps, in fact, of of or uh, Urchatz. It is the 15 steps of the Seder itself. In a certain sense, it's the framework of the entire Seder, um, as a whole, which allows us to uh, which allow which allows us the the framework of reference. It's interesting that in the let in the in the Hebrew numbering system, when you look at the number 15, it doesn't follow the regular the regular permutation in the sense that usually speaking, when you have a number in Hebrew and the notation, let's say, when we get into the teens. So when you get to um, 11, it's Yud Aleph. That's 10 and 1. Then when it gets to 12, it's Yud Beis. That's 1 and 2. Then Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet. And then when you get to number 15, you would expect at that point in time for it to be Yud and then hey, And it's not. It's Tes Vov, which is 9 and 6. Now, yes, 9 and 6 do certainly add up. To 15 but we somehow move away from using the test vav as the number 15. Why is that? One of the reasons that is is because in fact the number 15 itself is the name of Hashem. The name of Hashem is Yud and Hay, that's one aspect of the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's in the beginning of the Shema Avaya and it's his name in and of its own right that Hashem created the world with those two letters, the Yud and the He. It represents, so to speak, the two dimensions, the spiritual dimension and the physical dimension. And what is fascinating about this is, in a certain sense, the Seder is the framework of seeing HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. It also happens to be that the date of the Seder itself is the night of the 15th. So we're really seeing the convergence of these ideas. When you move up your towards the, the Ezra's, Yisrael, when you move towards the the, the area in the base of Migdash where you get close to the Kedusha, as you enter that level, you you walk up fifteen stairs again. The Shir Rama'alois, the fifteen Shiramais as we move closer to Akkolish Baruch. Hu. Why is that? Why is that so pertinent? Why is that so relevant? So the truth is, is that there is this name of Akkolish Baruch Hu, has a certain place in the Torah where it's used. The the place where we find it is to be found at the end of Parshish Bashalach where there is an episode of the war of Amalek. At the end of this whole war, Yeshua fights the nation of Amalek. Mosh Rabbeinu is up on the mountain and everybody is fighting on all fronts. So we are told the following. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu has this entire war with Amalek intergenerationally because it's almost like their hand is upon the throne of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak. What does that mean exactly? Rashi tells us there's, there's a little bit of a idiosyncrasy when it comes to reading the Pasuk. The Ba'zik says, So HaKadosh Baruch hand, so to speak, is, is lifted to make an oath on his throne. That he has an eternal, an eternal hate, so to speak. An eternal dislike for Amalek um, for all time. Now, generally speaking, the word for throne in Hebrew is Kisei. The word for is a chair is Kisei. Why is it that in this pasuk it's framed as the word case, not kisei? And the name of Hashem is split down the middle. So it's not Yud-Heh and then a vav and then Heh. But rather it's Yud and then Heh. HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes an oath that, is, that, uh, that his throne and his name is not complete in this world as long as there is an Amalek in the world. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch is saying name Ka Yud and the hey, is an expression of there being something still missing in this world which is why as much as it is a revelation of our Kaddish Baruch Hu it's the same time it is also the diminution of our Kaddish Baruch Hu in this world which is what which brings, me, it brings us to a very fascinating insight of the Beis HaLevi Rav Soloveitchek very very beautiful insight that he points out he says you know it's interesting that when Bnei Yisrael was saved from Egypt, they were saved halfway through the, the experience. Here's what he says in, He says in his pirush on Parashas Boy. He says the following. We should know. They were only in Egypt for 210 years. That he redeemed them at the middle of the time. That in the end of the day, Hu says you're gonna pay back that time which you have on credit, so to speak, at the end, at the end of the um, of Exodus, at the end of time. What's going to happen is, is at the end of time, at the end of time, you're going to now be able to to find the full redemption. Which means that the redemption of Egypt was early. Yes, early. Yes, it was a good thing. But, he, but at the same time, we still owe back the balance of the one hundred and ninety years, so to speak. Whether it be numerically or whether it be in terms of quantitatively or qualitatively, we need to pay back that goddess. He says, and if you look around, a number of the sifra talk about this. And therefore, he says. That means to say that the end of the, the bris ben Abbasarim, the covenant between the parts, between the Almighty and Abraham, has not yet been fulfilled. We've not yet got the ruchush gadol fully. Why? it will only be finished when we finish that time ma pesach that the midrash says that Tishabav in a certain sense is the completion of the night of pesach based on the pasuk in Eicha what didn't what wasn't fixed in the night of pesach on when in the we'll call it the the incomplete redemption is going to be seen in the completion of that exile on the night of Tishabav shechal boy pesach However, We know that there's a rule in the numeric calendar that we have with with uh, when it comes to Tisha Bav and Pesach. It's called the Atbash system. That Pesach maps out the rest of the days of the year for the rest of, for all other festivals. Atbash is that, in a, in a, that the Aleph, the first day of Pesach, is parallel to the Taf, the Tisha B'Av, the Bays, right? So each, each of the second day of Pesach um, is going to be against the next day in the calendar. The day of Tisha B'Av will always be the same day as the first day of Pesach, which means that this year, God willing, Tisha B'Av will be on a Wednesday night going into a Thursday, just because that's the way the calendar is set up. Tishabav is integrally related and linked to Pesach. That's just not not just in the calendar, but that's also ideologically the base the is telling us. So in a certain sense, the first half of the night is Pesach, the second half of the night is Tishabav. And those two come together, which I think is what uh, Blech was saying is that the, the Seder is Tesvav. It is on the 15th of the month. It is the 15 steps because it relates to the name of our Kodesh Baruch Hu, which is right now somewhat incomplete. The name of our Kodesh Baruch Hu is not fully there. We don't have full access to it. Why? For a very simple reason is because we are still in the throes of there being evil in the world. We're still in the throes of there being negativity. We're still suffering many, many um, slings, and barbs of Golis, and therefore we still remember that this, our Golis is still incomplete and hopefully we are going to reach the completion and see the day which is fully, fully day. We get to the end of those years of Golis and see the Ruchosh Gadol and return to Eretz Israel like the promise of Avram Vino. That's idea number one. Let's move on to our second idea. I think this is a fascinating idea. For this, we move into a different Agada. This is agada of Agada called the Historical Agada by Rabbi Nachman Cohen, a um, really fascinating individual. And he says, I, I just such a fascinating suggestion, such a fascinating insight. Here's what he, he talks about. He talks about the Greek paradox of change. The Greeks, who had a little bit of an issue, and that well, there were many issues, but one of the issues they had is that their physics was informed by their philosophy. So therefore, before actually experimentation, they did more philosophizing about it. And they had a problem with the notion of change. Well, not all Greeks, but many of the philosophers did. And the, the, the issues, they, they believed that change was illusory. Um, and that's why, according to many Aristotelian physics, they believe that the world was kadmon and that the world, the world was uh, just always was. There was never a moment of start. There was never a moment of initiation. There was no such thing as creation ex nihilo. That's why the Rambam, who very much firmly adopts much of Ar- Aristotelian philosophy, completely rejects this element of it, which is khfira, which is denial of the Almighty. And the Rambam spends in an inordinate amount of time in Marenevochem disproving this notion. But it's fascinating just to look in for a second some of the Greek, uh, the, the Greek paradoxes about change and understand one key element to the Haggadah based on this. Here's an example of the paradoxes suggested by a philosopher by the name of Zeno. Here's the, here's the paradox of distance. Just fascinating thinking about this. He says the following. It is logically impossible to, for an object or a person to traverse from point A um, to point B um, um, in a finite amount of time because there are an infinite, an infinite amount, number of dimensions Mathematical points between A and B, and an infinite number of points cannot be traversed in a finite amount of time. Fascinating. Now, we know that to be true because we know that between point A and point B on any ruler, on any, time, on any space line, between any points, is divisible infin- infinitely, meaning to say I can always carry on infinitely dividing that amount of space. So therefore, if there exists an infinite amount of space, how in a finite amount of time can I cover an infinite amount of distance? That's the question that he presents. It's a paradox of distance. How can we ever travel? He has another paradox. It's called the paradox of motion. Examine an arrow in flight. Break the trajectory down into smaller and smaller units. Reduce the interval to time frame of a snapshot. The arrow is standing still. But if it is standing still, how could it also be moving? This proves that motion is illusory. It should be noted the subject of the paradox is debated by the rabbis and Rikiva also talks about klutz kamishon Khadavi. right so this is a whole discussion as to whether you can say something which is munach in the airspace or something else for another, for another, for another uh, time and that, then the paradox of space to exist an object must be confined within a physical area. The room I'm sitting in, and he describes where he's sitting in doing his work in the Bronx in New York, and he talks about how it is part of a much bigger space, so here's the example he gives. The room I'm sitting in is within my office. This is within my home, which is in my street in Yonkers, which is in the state of in New York State, which is in the United States of America, which is in North America, which is in Earth, which is in our solar system, which is in the right arm of the Milky Way galaxy, which is in the Virgo supercluster, which is in the visible universe. But within what is the universe contained? Since we are faced with an infinite regress, that is everything must be contained within something else, and since there cannot be a last item with which uh, which can exist without being contained, this proves that space is but an illusion. So these are the types of, of paradoxes. Yes, Zeno would have been a very difficult person to have coffee with. You know, like you want to just talk about the news, and here's Zeno talking about, do I really exist in space? But nonetheless, this is this is one one line within Greek philosophy. So the argument that Rabbi Cohn makes, I think, is a very beautiful in, um, insight into Agada. He says the Rabbinic response. What's the what's the response of the Haggadah to this? The Haggadah is 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 not just talking about history. The Haggadah is talking about our theology. This is the Rabbi's response to this paradox, Zeno. Their response consists of calling Hashem Hamakom, the place. By this is meant that the world is encapsulated within God and not that God is encapsulated within the world. It was God who created space. Only physical entities require space and for existence. God, the creator of time, space and time, does not. The response was important. The fallacy of the Greeks was everything had a physical component. The pro-Socrates did not accept the notion of total spiritual being. The use of hamakom serves to emphasize that God emphasized that God. that the Greek scope of the universe is incomplete and insufficient. And so therefore, the answer to Zeno's questions are, yes, you're correct. It is a paradox. That's if you're only working within uh, the span of physicality. But we have a little bit more of a dimension than that. And therefore, going back to his third paradox, the idea... That, uh, that that ultimately the paradox of space, the context of all space is HaKadosh Baruch. Baruch Hu. Baruch is the glue behind which, and is the power behind which everything else exists. When we talk about Baruch HaMokom, Baruch Hu, Baruch Yisrael, we have to understand that we don't just view history as, as a discrete amount of events which are connected together and strung together in one timeline. We're viewing it as the idea that there is a inner line, an inner string which holds together all the beads of all the history and that's called HaMokom. That's the context of all reality and that's how we move from place B A to place B. That's how we every moment you take a look at a snapshot of Israel. Yes, they're moving and yes, they're not moving. But the, what connects the cohesive timeline and time frame of all, all Jewish existence is Hamakom. Therefore, as we're about to start the Magid, we say, Baruch Hamakom, Baruch hu, Baruch And therefore, that's, that's the notion of this. I would like to take it one step further because I think this is not just the idea that the Hamakom is used over here. And not only is this the, the, the time that Hamakom is used in our lives, is a times of great joy and great sorrow where we know Hamakam arrives. Also the time when a person comes to the sick, we use the name of Hamakam as well. It's not just at those moments we recognize as a spiritual entity in this world, but it's, uh, but it's also the framework of the entire God. Now, let me explain why. This, this is our God of the Nitziv, the Imre Shefer, very, very beautiful. Rabbi Yehuda Berlin, um, of Volodian, the, uh, the Shiva of the Yeshiva in Voloshan. It's a very, very beautiful insight, and it helps us shed light on Dayeno. He takes the same idea as what Rabbi Cohen was doing. And, but he takes it one step further. And this is what he, this is the, what he explains, perhaps to me, is the, one of the more perplexing parts of the Seder, which is the idea of Dayenu. Yes, I understand, and we love singing Dayenu, and it's a highlight for the kids, and we can get them through just to get to the beginning of Shulchan Orech with Dayenu. But in the end of the day, why is it so critical? Why do we need Dayenu? So he says a very beautiful insight, and this is, this is how he, he explains it. He says, <laughs> This is in source five. So he says the following. Yeah, I mean, he says that this teaches us the extra added level of our Hu's endurance, our Kodesh baruch Hu's investment in this world. It looks to me like I actually put the incorrect citation over here into our into into the source sheet. So I'm going to take it back to one one level of uh, one level in the actual Haggadah itself. Here's what he says. He says. He carries on teaching us all the incredible amount of goodness that He did for us. At the beginning, Why is it that in our Seder we use the word hamakom? Did you notice at the beginning of Dayenu, it says, Again the name Hamakam appears. Why is that the name that's chosen for our Baruch when enumerating all the good things that He did? Who cares that the Kush destroyed the Egyptian gods in the way out? Varages that their firstborns were killed? Maybe we got their money. Was that so critical? Let's say those things were absent. Would that have changed our national history and our culture? Would that have changed our destiny as the nation of Israel? Not really. It's very nice, but it didn't necessarily change the destiny. This is what we're going to call a tova. He says, Elo, here's his suggestion for a powerful idea. He says, HaKadosh Baruch is going out of his way to show us Hashkocha Pratis, that he has divine specific providence. He's going to do every detail, even what may seem the unnecessary details. That's what it means when we say HaKadosh Baruchu is place. Baruch is the context of all reality. Because of His Hashkocha, His providence. Which means, when we're singing Dayenu, we're not saying HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we not for these 15 things. Coming back to the 15 again, in the Dayenu. We're not for these 15 things, we would not exist. No. Actually, you could knock a few of them off and it would still be fine. But when we enumerate them, we're enumerating the fact that Akash Baruch Shbaruchu was with us. We know that Akhar Baruch Hu was side by side with us. We could feel his presence in life. That's what's being expressed in Dayenu. That's why the word Hamokom is used, and that's specifically the response to the Greeks who don't believe that there is any spiritual dimension in life, and therefore they continue haphazardly being drifted, drifting down the river of Mikre, of happenstance. There are no way of no ability of connecting those dots as. We we do. We connect the dots of the night to the Seder and that's why we turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as HaMalakam. What a powerful, powerful idea. Let's move on to, to the idea of Hashem and the Malach, Hashem and the Angel. I thought of, I saw a very fascinating idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu describes, or the, the Haggadah describes, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to save us in the night of Pesach. It says, Ani ve'loy Malach. Ha, 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 Hashem says, I was the one who saved you in Mitzrayim and not a Malach. Why not? Why was it, why is this such a critical issue to, to relate to on the night of the seder? So the Beshemim Mishmul, Rav Bornstein, Rav Bornstein explains a very beautiful insight. He says, "Lo malach anihu upirish ma'aral." He says, "El He refers to the who's the acher? What's the other entity that Akosh Baruch Hu is precluding from being here? Is Samuel. Samuel is another word for the Satan. Uqvar diktaknu Ari. He quotes the Arizal who says, what does it mean Aniv Alay Malach? Shafilu malach haya nisgashem beridatoi be mitzrayim Egypt was so physical that any angel would have to transform into the outer experience of physicality to enter into Mitzrayim. That's how de- de- deep and, de- and, depra- and depraved it was. So, so to speak, Akarsh Baruch who needed to enter without any barriers because there had to be pure spirituality which entered. Because even an angel would not be able to enter. He says, "Look, whenever you have, let's say, Baruch Hu allowed the facilitation of this last Maka to be Ayadeh the Sitra Akhra, this other side, the dark side, then whenever you have that, there's so to speak, it's like a poison which which uh, which enters the entire body." So this is a Halocha That let's say I have a animal which is a trefer. That means to say that it is mortally ill. It has one of the uh, of a number of different signs which indicates that it is that it is on the process in the process of death. So, in such a case, if that animal gives birth to a blood, to, a, Vlad, to a, a calf, if it calves, that calf is considered a traitor as well. In other words, we consider there to be a, if you have an illness, we consider it to be hereditary. And even the child is re- re- reflecting that, that, that disease. <speaking in Hebrew> Israel was so dependent on Egypt. Israel was like that fetus in the mother's tummy, in the in the mother's womb. That should Hakadosh Baruch Hu allow forces of evil to actually hurt Israel or hurt Egypt. Egypt is the mother, is the carrier. Even Israel would have been impacted so much so. And, like, and therefore, Akash Baruch himself needed to do the surgery so carefully that only the Egyptians would be hurt and not Israel at this critical moment in time. Just to think about that from a perspective, you know, it sounds far out, but it's not so far out. Sometimes we should ask ourselves and we should ask all Jews throughout Jewish history, you know, who are you? How American are you and how Jewish are you? How French are you? How Jewish are you? How English are you? How Jewish are you? How Spanish are you? How Jewish are you? We have to ask these questions, and a lot of times I think that if we're really intellectually honest, sometimes it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, you know, like sometimes, sometimes you, you, uh, people have this uh, experience where, you know, when, let's say when Russian jury finally came through and people sort of looked at them a little bit differently. Even though yes we fought and we fought to break down the iron curtain and bring them th- and, and bring them across and yes, but they're kind of they're like a little different, right? They're not us. Why? Because us is informed by the mother culture that we're in. We're Americans, we're Canadians, we're sophisticated, we're Westerners, they they they, they quite, haven't quite got up to that point in time. And it took a little while. So but that 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 that, that dichotomy is, is a function of the fact that one's culture, one's mother culture is more informative to one about who one is than necessarily we'll call it the common framework, which is Judaism itself. That's something which is worthwhile thinking about. In World War II, at the end of World War II, there were packets which were given to American soldiers to describe dealing with the French, because although they are our allies, they, 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 they operate differently. One of the items in that pamphlet at the end of World War II was, they shower less than us. So therefore, don't be, don't be offended by their smell. That was one of the things the American army was distributing at the end of World War II. Culture is a very important factor when it comes to our operation. And what the, what the Haggadah is saying is that Kosh Baruch Hu realized that. He realized that the nation of Israel was so embedded in Egypt that their culture was so much Egyptian at this point in time that suffering and impact on the Egyptian culture would automatically trickle down into their own entity and their emotional makeup. Uh, Khaled Baruch will therefore had to do it so surgically carefully that only the Christians were impacted in Israel could actually come out unaffected. That's a very powerful insight that the Shemish is saying, Kabbalistically and also emotionally. Let's move a little further and this is a very interesting insight we're now going to move into the Haggadah called the Royal Table this is Rabbi Norman Lamb should live and be well's Hag- um, Haggadah, He says a very fascinating insight and this is about Haseba when we get a little bit later into the Seder and we start to doing the Mitzvot HaLailah we know that there's a number of Mitzvot which require leaning, why do we lean? it's interesting that w- the, place, the, the place that we look for for the leaning is the Gomorrah itself, the Gomorrah talks about why we do the leaning and he says a very beautiful insight, he says look, we lean on the left side when we drink the four cups and eat the matzah according to the Talmud because of the hygienic, uh, hygienic reason, not to choke on our food. But beyond that, the scholars suggest other dimensions. The leaning is a symbol of aristocracy and freedom. But this is puzzling. Now this is, we always, we read the Gemara, we see that Gemara in Pesachem, we understand and we talk about freedom and the, the expression of, of 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 leadership of, of um, being kingly. At the same time, he says, but this is puzzling. Why adopt our Jewish religious purposes a, 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 a form of posture that was unique to Romans of 2,000 years ago. Think about this. When the, the Gomorrah was talking about this, the Gomorrah is reflecting when you look at those pictures and those inscriptions of the Romans and they're lying on their couches in a circle. That was a practice of the of the Jews at the time. Why is a function of what the Roman norms were? Why do we adopt those norms as being the norms of, of expressions of, of, of kingliness, of, of aristocracy? The answer, I suggest, lies in an irony. Why is our Seder lacking and incomplete today? Why do we not observe the Passover sacrifice, which was the center of the Seder in the days of independence? Why are we today in exile? It is because of the Romans 2,000 years ago destroyed our temple. But we shall not allow the destruction to rub us of the authenticity and undo us as a people. And so today, we practice the very Roman symbol of freedom, the inclining on the left side. We adopt the Roman posture of leisure. And thereby celebrate Zechir le Migdash, remembering everything that occurred in the temple while they, the Romans, who um, ravaged the temple, are no longer in existence. Something so, so simple to notice. That Gomorrah is talking about a Roman norm. But we adopt that Roman norm specifically to show that the Romans right now, think about Hashem Yishmor, Italy right now. That's, that's, that, that's, that, that's all that's left of, of Rome and, unfortunately, at this point in time, we, even, even more than ever before. Where, where is the nation of Israel? They're still leaning on their left. And still, like Chazal, the time of the Romans are still adopting that expression of leisure from the time of goddess. To, as an expression of the idea of aristocracy and of freedom, says Rabbi Norman Lamb. Very powerful idea. As we, as we lean at the Leila Seder, we have a lot to be thankful for in terms of our own freedom. In terms of the freedom from the goddess, which we hope that will end soon. And finally, one last point, and we'll try to close with this, this um, today as we move towards our Seder. And that is, to me, one of the most fascinating ideas. Uh, and that is the idea of the Beis Salevi once again. This re- relates to a particular episode in the Seder, one of my favorite parts of the Seder altogether. And that is the story about Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi and Rabbi Azariah, and Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Taifon, and B'nei Nebrak. Today it's not so easy to be Misubim, B'nei Nebrak, unfortunately. B'nei Nebrak is under a, a, a under quarantine. But in, uh, going back into this Layla Seder, the one night of the Seder that the Haggadah references of, so to speak, doing what it's telling us to do, is this particular Seder, this Le'el HaSeder. Um, until the students arrived and said, Rab- Rabbi it's Shachris it's time. It's, it's time we need, to, we need to move on. So this is, this is the, the, the famous Seder in history. What's a little bit strange is, um, is, is the following, is the next step in the Gada is the following. She quotes, this is a mission in Brachos. Rabbi Lozben Azariah says, I didn't have the school to say that we should do Yitzir Mitzrayim at night. Do Zakir's Yitzirs Mitzrayim. says, Because the Basak says you should remember the day the, 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 the Ben Zoom made the, the following diok. It says, in order that you should remember the day, the the day you left Mitzrayim, all the days of your life, <speaking in> the, <field> the day of your of your lives is um, is uh, refers to the days. Koyim <speaking> in <the middle> echayecha includes the nights. That's the Joshua that that Ben Zoma made, which allowed Rabbi Zalazub Razaria to present his case, which was that I, we should say Zecharia's Mitzrayim at night. But the Chachamim disagreed, and they said, no, no. Yimei no. <speaking in the middle> echayecha refers to Alamazah, Koyim Yachah refers to Laavi Yomah Sma'ishek. The times of Mashiach will still mention Yisias Mitzrayim, even though we have will have had a Messianic redemption at that point in time. So this is, this is the Mishnah. There are a lot of questions to be had in this section of the Haggadah. And first of all, why specifically this, this, this Seder is being mentioned? Why is this so critical? Um, number two is, is, this second paragraph here is strange because it's not talking about something we do on the night of the Seder at all. In fact, if you just want to understand this in, in a greater context, there are two separate mitzvahs here. The one is what's called the mitzvah of Zecher, Yetzirah Mitzrayim, we're mentioning of remembering. Yetzratzvim and then there is Yitzhi Yitzhi There is telling the story of Egypt. Now, they may sound similar but they're actually different. They have different time frames and and, um, and expressions. So for instance, the, Yitzhi Yitzhi the first of those, is a mitzvah we do every single day. When we say Kriashmah in the morning, the reason why we have the third paragraph in Shema is precisely that. The mitzvah zitzit relates to the symbol of freedom as the Sefirah points out. And it's because we need to mention that last Okay, that I takes out of Egypt. That's how we mention that, which means by saying that we fulfill the mitzvah of remembering every day of my life I'm remembering that. According to Ben Zoma and according to Rebel Azam Azai, we need to do that at night, which is why we mentioned the third paragraph, Akriyashma at night as well. Even though we're not kissing the sisters at that point in time, we need to do it in the morning and in the evening. That is Zechay Yosef Misraim. Do you notice? We don't go into all Joshua, there's no soliloquies, it's not very complicated, there's no questions and answers. It's very simply I'm stating the fact. Baruch Hu, you redeemed us from Egypt, thank you very much. That's what the Zechay Misraim is. Sepul Yosef Misraim is what is about to be this Wednesday night on Test of Nisan, where we all sit down with the family, even though it may be a smaller seder than usual. We're going to sit down, we're going to ask questions and answers. We're going to maskab i gnus, we're going to call a We have all these incredible halachas about seppur yassir's mitzraim. Right? That's specifically one, or perhaps in chutzah, it's two nights a year we we have the mitzvah seppur yassir's which is what we're about to engage in. Now, if you put these two paragraphs back to back, therefore they don't fit well. Because paragraph number one was the paragraph of, a, of the Seder. That's Sipri Yosef Mitzrayim. When you come back to the second paragraph, that's Zechir Yosef Mitzrayim. That's a mitzvah which refers to every single day of the year. So why is that even making its way into the Haggadah? That's a halach when it comes to Yosef Mitzrayim. It's nothing to do with Pesach per se. Why is it even making its way to the Haggadah? Um, moreover, another question we can ask about the second paragraph is very strange. Listen, Rabbi Lozabin Azari clearly believes... He clearly believes that one should be saying Zechei to Nisraim at nights as well. That's what he's saying, right? But he says, But I needed Ben to make the Drosha so I could prove to the Chachamim that you should do it at nights. But wait a second. Rabbi Ozzaman if you believe that it should be done at nights, you obviously have a reason you believe in that. If there's a reason you believe in that, then tell us. Tell us what the reason is. Don't wait for Ben Zoyma. Just tell us what your logic is. If you believe in the same drasha as him, make the drasha. If you don't have the drasha as him, tell us your reason. But why What's that got to do with anything? Why is Ben Zoyma part of the picture? Tell us what you believe. That's, the, that, that's the, There are a number of questions that we could ask on this um, in, the, in this section. So the base HaLevi says a very, very powerful insight, extremely powerful insight into, the, the, into these two paragraphs and they're fitting in. To the Leila Seder, such an incredible insight. Here's what here's what what, what he points out. Yeah, I mean, the Bei'salib points out that um, that in fact there's another Gomorrah in, Baruchos, in the on in The Gomorrah on Daf has a Machlekas uh, about when in fact the Pesach is eaten um, is eaten when the when the the magid can be done. Here we go. Let's take a look at source nine. The Brach the Gemurra says this. you're supposed to eat the meat of the Pesach on this night. Now. Bear in mind the names. It says that you should eat the meat on this night. And it says that I went through Egypt on this night. It surely, when I went through Egypt, it was until, until midnight. So therefore, eating the meat can only be until midnight. Oh, also sounds familiar. Also in that Seder says it was until the time of the rash when was the that's that, that is when they could eat it ma so Rabbi Akiva says no 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 really it is it's the whole night until the time of hipazon the gemara clarifies this point it says There's, this this is parallel to another machlekes as it says Tanya. Um, he says a I remember Let's skip this for just a moment. Every Every that the Gula happened in the evening, in the night. Hashem took you out at night. But they actually only exited Egypt When they left in the day That's when Israel left in the day What's the argument? On the time of the rush he has, he has, Let's get what they agree with Let's agree, get what they disagree with they all agree, physically speaking, that the, the Egyptians were ready to reject the nation of Israel in the middle of the night. Pharaoh was in his pajamas in the middle of the night, running to find Moshe Rabbeinu to tell him to leave. We know that. That was the Chippozin of Mitzrayim. That was the behala, the confusion, the chaos, the crisis of Egypt. That occurred in the middle of the night. We also all agree that, physically speaking, Israel did not leave in that night. They only left the next morning. Not like bandits in the middle of the night. They left as regally as possible the next morning with the permission slip of egypt fully in daylight time for everybody to see that we agree the question is like this is is the Quran pesach eaten to the point of the chippazon of mitzrayim or the point of the chippazon of yisrael meaning is the pesach eaten at chatzais or is the pesach eaten until daybreak that's the makhloikas of Rebbe Loza Ben-Azariah and Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Nazari says it's only until Chatzois, and Rebbe Akiva says until daybreak, until morning. Fascinating. So now, let's just appreciate this for, for, for a moment. This is a major makhloikas, and you know the reason why it's always noted that we should try to finish the, the at least the main part of the Seder before Chatzois is in deference to the opinion of Rebbe azariah That's why it is. That's uh, that's where it comes from. This Gemara, based on the, the, this practice. Now let's 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 appreciate this for a second. We know that the mitzvah of Magid of telling of Sipur Yishtitz Mitzrayim is in fact related to the time that we have the actual elements we're talking about in front of us, which means not only is there a machlokes. In how long one can eat the meat of the Korban Pesach, there's also a machloikas as to when Magid consequently will follow and how long that will go until. Does it go until Chatzos, like we like we see, or does it go until daybreak? Now, let's, let's come back and, uh, and, uh, and reassess the Seder that we're talking about um, in, in that historical Seder for a moment. Who is the leader of this Seder? There are five rabbonim in Bnei Brak. Who is the leader of the Seder? Well, we know from the Gomorrah, actually, that we can work out very clearly who the leader is, not by who's first and not by whose last. It's not climatic or anticlimatic, but rather by the way they seat themselves. And in fact, we know that the Gomorrah tells us that always, like the Sanhedrin itself, would always be sa- sat in, so to speak, a semicircle, with the most important individual being in the center. We know this because when they were to ask questions of the Sanhedrin, they, what they would do is they would start post They would ask from the side, which means they would ask the most junior of the Sanhedrin first because they would be scared to answer in front of the most senior who would be in the center. So we look at this list of five. Let's take a look. Who is in the center of this uh, uh, Seder? Who is the leader of the Seder? Well, we have five Rabanim, so it's the third one who's going to be in the center. Uh, my Rabbi, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yusha, who's the third one? Rabbi Lazar bin Azariah. Rabbi Lazar bin Azariah is the one who's in the center now, which, by the way, helps us distinguish a very uh, isolate which year the Seder took place in as well. Because we know that there were, at this point in time, the leader of the generation was a person by the name of Rabbon Gamliel, of Hillel de- de- descent, Davidic blood in his veins. And he was the leader of the generation. But he had a number of, de- of differences with... Um, one of his students, Rabbi Yoshua. And in fact, on three different occasions in the Gomorrah and the Mishnah, Rabbi Le- Re- 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 Rabbon Gamliel, in fact, um, disagreed with Rabbi Yoshua so vociferously that he insulted him. He made him do terrible things to disprove his uh, his opinion. And he did that for a very important reason, because there was no space for dissent. When you're over, uh, overruled in halachic reality, you're, you don't exist as a footnote. That doesn't work that way. But nonetheless, he was very strong about the way that he did So one example the Gomorrah and Brakos gives is that there was a difference in calculation of when the new month would be, and it was the month of Tishrei, so it would impact when Yom Kippur was. So Raman Gavriel forced to be to come with his money belt and his staff on Yom Kippur, to him. You know, was to disprove the Yom Kippur date that Yeshua believed was true. Rabbi Gamaliel said, "You have to know. I'm the I've based in. This is I'm the I'm This is going to be. This is going to be how it is. And you're going to listen to that. There's not going to be any differences. You're not going to create um, sectarian groups about, about um, of, of this. There, at a, at a certain point, the rabbis felt that Rabbi Gamaliel's treatment of Yeshua was too harsh, and in fact they deposed of him, they, 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 they deceited, um, Rabbi Rabbon Gamliel as the, as the leader of the generation. At that point in time, the Gomorrah describes that they were searching for a replacement. They said, who should re- replace him? They said, Rebbe not Rabbi Yeshua, he's too close related to Rabbi Kiva, different types of Yechus. And finally, they said, they said, you know what we should do? We should turn to Rabban Rab, Rab, Ozevan Nazari. The problem was he was, he was a very young man. He was 18 years old at the time. He went to consult with his wife. He first, a uh, very important rule in general. And um, and 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 finally, he accepted it. Um, he accepted the nesius. He accepted this uh, this position of the leadership. And that's when he says, "I'm like 70 years old because he was given that nesius at such an early age, at such a at such a young age." So therefore, by the way, afterwards, the Gemara describes how Rabbi Gamliel came back, and in fact, they they they, they alternated their leadership. Now, if Rabbi Lozeman Azaria is at the center of the seder, we know that it was this year, this critical year, where there was a lot of argument. There was a lot of argument in Klal Yisrael, Rabbi Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel deposed at this point in time, he's going to be brought back, but Rabban Ozzerah at this point in time is the leader of the Seder, which indicates we know exactly specifically which year this is and the critical nature of this. In fact, there's a tosefta which describes that Rabban Gamliel was making a Seder in Lod. And we can say that that was the parallel Seder where Rabban Rabban Gamliel was alone that year because he was not the leader that particular year, which we can uh, um, isolate. Now, it goes one step further. If Rabban Ozzerah is the leader of the Seder, then we know something very important. And that is, is what is his opinion as to when the Pesach can be eaten and hence when we can do sipur Yetzias Mitzrayim until? Well we know he believes that the main point of Yetzias Mitzrayim was, the Mitzrayim, was when, Iz, when the Egyptians were in chaos in the middle of the night. Which means that Rebel Lazar ben Azariah believed that the Seder should only really go until Chatzois. He's the leader of the Seder. It's his first year as the Nasi. It's his first year as being the leader. So what should he say? He should put his foot down and say, everybody that's it, we're reaching, it looks like it's 12.54 am, it's time to end the Seder folks but that's not what happens. Why? And the answer is, is because they were in Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak as the Gomorrah Sanhedrin tells us, was the place of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva may not be the leader of the generation, he may not be the Nazi as Rabbi, Rabbi Elizabeth Azaria was, but nonetheless, Rabbi Elizabeth Azaria in this critical year where Machloikas was so rife, where there was so much discord, there was so much disparity in the nation of Israel, as they got to 12.54 a.m., as they were reaching their Chatzos that year, he, he looked the other way and they continued in deference to his junior in station, Rabbi Akiva, to allow the Seder to continue to the morning. This is not simply a Seder of, wow, look how long they went. It's a Seder of describing the peace they created to be able to do the Seder all the way through the morning, unlike his opinion. His colleague who he argued argued was with him and he deferred to him even though he was the leader. Even though people would say in the next morning um, um, around Shul, they would say, you know, Rabbi Lozab Nazariah didn't uh, b- believe in his own opinion. No, for the sake of peace, it was worth it. That's why in the next paragraph says the Be'ez when it says, Omer Rabbi Lozab Nazariah, the same Rabbi Lozab Nazariah, I couldn't explain to my colleagues to say, the we do all year round to do it at nights. Why couldn't he convince them? Because he believed, unlike Rabbi Kiva, the main guru Ula, the main redemption was when the chaos of Egypt, not in the exodus of, I- of Israel the next morning. Therefore, to him, it was obvious that the primary time to say Zechariah says Mitzrayim would be at nights. But he couldn't convince his friends because they didn't see eye to eye. They believed the primary time was the exodus when Egypt, when the, the nation of Israel left. In the morning, therefore we needed the drosh Ben-Zoimah. He needed the drasha ben Zoma to augment his position, which was his perspective of when Yitzhia's Mitzrayim really took place, what the critical moment of Yitzhia's Mitzrayim took place, which is why this second paragraph, this mission in brachos, is included even though it isn't necessarily germane to the subject of uh, the idea of simple Yitzhia's Mitzrayim itself. Fascinating inside of the Be'ez HaLevi. There is more to say on this, but nonetheless, um, owing to time, we're going to stop at this point over here. I want to thank everybody for taking the time. If I don't get to see um, see, see the Hevra beforehand, I want to take an opportunity to wish everybody a good, healthy Pesach, a good, healthy Pesach to all those who are ill and protection for many, many more who should not become ill. ezras, Hashem Yisbarach.